You may be seated. Where I, where I normally sit, I, I kind of miss out on all the good singing. Uh, you can really tell up here how good you guys can sing, and uh, I appreciate that being a, uh, shall we say, a non-musical person. So, uh, and uh, that, uh, that song we just sang was fortuitous in light of uh, both my message and uh, what we're going to do afterwards. Uh, sometimes it's almost as if an all-powerful, all-knowing God were in control of our lives. I don't know. Pray with me, please. Father, uh, we just thank you so much for this time that we have together. And as we continue to worship you, we pray for your grace. Uh, and this is worship, whether it's as we're praying, we're singing uh, the, the word, and then the ceremony afterwards. Um, we are totally dependent upon you for everything. Every breath we take, every beat of our heart, and certainly that miraculous work that you do in the heart, uh, your, the work of your Holy Spirit in changing us. And so we pray for that work uh, both in our hearts and through the message this morning. In Christ's name I pray, amen. So as always, I'm uh, honored to have been asked to speak uh, a little later in the service. Pastor Nathan will lead us as we observe the Lord's Supper. And my message is about just that, communion or the Lord's Supper, if you prefer that title. Uh, but my, my message has a very strange title, Conflict and Communion. Conflict and Communion. But don't worry, you can relax. I'm going to be talking about the distant past, not the present. Um, and as many of you know, the 500-year anniversary of the Reformation was last year, and comments, uh, even messages on the Reformation were pretty common. Uh, but many divisive issues came to the surface during the Reformation. You may have heard of the five solas. Uh, sola meant alone. Uh, there was, for example, sola scriptura, or the Bible alone, as the only rule of faith and practice. And the other solas really were built upon that one. Um, one we talk about often is uh, sola fide, or faith alone, as opposed to faith plus works. Um, Romans 3.28, for we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. And, uh, of course, we know Luther, he, he really believed in that sola scriptura. He wanted to translate the Bible into German so that, as he put it, every plowboy could read the Bible. But it might surprise you that one issue over which there was great conflict was communion or the Lord's Supper. How you observe communion could become a visible sign that you believed in Reformation teaching. It uh, stood out like a sore thumb, you might say. Consequently, the authorities might end up at your door. Uh, although we don't have complete records, it's believed that as many as a million people lost their lives over these issues. Uh, if you read Fox's Book of Martyrs, you will realize that conflict over communion was uh, a precipitating issue. Uh, but don't read Fox's Book of Martyrs if you have a weak stomach. Uh, Norma de Klerk told me that she couldn't get through it. Uh, but the, the stories are just indescribable, horrible beyond words. Uh, ironically, the word communion implies fellowship. Uh, one is supposed to be communing with God and man through the service. But during the Reformation, there was anything but. Instead, there was mass killing. So let's take a, a short trip back in history 
And let's look at the main views that cropped up during the Reformation, ending with what we believe here at Calvary Bible Church. Uh, the first view we'll, we will look at is called transubstantiation. It's kind of a mouthful, but uh, it's really pretty easy to understand, I think. This was the dominant, and I might add the required view at that time. And remember that church and state were united back then. And sometimes the church was even more powerful than the state. And so if you, you disobeyed a church rule, you were also disobeying a rule of the state. And uh, in fact, uh, observing communion properly, actually, if you disobeyed that one, uh, it actually became a capital offense. So the followers of transubstantiation believe that the bread or wafer as we use today and wine actually transformed into the actual body and blood of Christ. Thus the prefix of trans and transubstantiation. Now, if you've ever been to one of these services, you will notice that the wafer and the wine continue to appear as a wafer and wine. Uh, you're supposed to believe against the senses that um, they've transformed into the actual body and blood of Christ. And you might be thinking, well, that's, that's faith against reason, um, and that's why I can't really accept that personally. Uh, I'm consider myself a rational person. I've got a background in math and science. And I would argue that Christianity is not only reasonable, but more reasonable than non-faith. Um, and so I have no trouble reconciling the Bible with reason, uh, including science. But that's a long discussion for another time. Uh, thus, I'm, I'm convinced that we don't need to accept any proposed conflict between uh, faith and reason. But this belief that the elements transform is necessary because the underlying belief is that the death of Christ is unfinished, that it's ongoing. You may have noticed a friend wearing a cross, and there's a representation of Jesus on that cross, and that's to symbolize, at least in their system, of the ongoing nature of Christ's sacrifice. Um, so here was the critical issue, actually. Uh, is the death of Christ finished, and did it provide an all-sufficient sacrifice for sin? Uh, all the reformers believed that it was finished and sufficient, and they would base that on uh, text, many texts, uh, for example, 1 Peter 3.18, for Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, in order that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Hebrews 10.14, for, uh, for by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are set apart. And then of course many of you are familiar with the very last thing Christ said on the cross. John 19.30, it is finished. There's a very easy memory verse for some of you. It is finished. And, and some of you have heard some comments about what it says in the original. Uh, if you opened up a Greek text you would see the word tetelestai. Uh, that's actually the perfect passive form of a word teleo, which itself means finished or perfect. But here's the neat thing. The perfect tense in Koine Greek means action completed in the past with results continuing into the future. Action completed in the past with results continuing into the future. So not only did Jesus use a word that means complete and satisfied, finished, um, but he also used uh, verb tense that uh, emphasize that. 
And of course, we have very many texts that say that he sat down after his work. For example, Hebrews 1.3, when he made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He sat down because his work was finished. And remember that the reformers were appealing to the Bible alone. That was the foundation for their beliefs, not, not the Bible plus something else. So in addition to direct statements of the Bible, this teaching also became the foundation for sola fide. Remember I mentioned that earlier. Justification through faith alone in Christ and his finished substitutionary work alone. Uh, we're declared righteous. That's what justified means. Declared righteous through faith alone. And that's because the entire penalty for our sin was dealt with in the completed sacrifice of Christ. And we can't add anything to it. Uh, we just sang about that. That was just a very good song for that. And by the way, um, our friends down the street, uh, the Seventh-day Adventists, uh, they also believe that Christ's sacrifice is ongoing. A um, little trivia, but uh, they believe that sacrifice is going on in heaven. It's not complete. So, of course, in any discussion of the Reformation, the name of Martin Luther must come up. Um, I actually took a whole course on Martin Luther, and uh, he was quite a character. Uh, really fun to study. As he grappled with how to explain communion, he wanted a teaching that expressed the finished nature of Christ's sacrifice while not deviating too far from the established belief. And so he came up with a view called consubstantiation. And the prefix there, con, means with. So he thought that although Christ's sacrifice was complete, Christ was still physically present alongside the elements of bread and wine. And this is basically what Lutherans hold today, and I've attended many of those services, and uh, I just don't drink the real wine. I opt for the grape juice, so they give you an option there. Uh, but there were other views. Um, John Calvin came along a little later, um, but when he was questioned on communion, you could tell that Calvin was going to go into politics. Uh, he said that Christ was present spiritually. So, and who could argue with that? So, uh, and, and of course, you know that uh, Presbyterians and Congregationalists, various reform groups, are spiritually descended from John Calvin. Uh, of course, you couldn't find a DNA test to tell you that. But, uh, but before Calvin, Philip I, uh, Landgrave of Hesse, or you may have seen Hessen, he called a meeting at uh, Marburg Castle in 1529. That's sometimes called the Marburg Colloquy. And so his intention was really more political than the theological. He wanted to get the reformers on the same page. Uh, he wanted to unite them. And so he brought together, of course, Martin Luther and Ulrich Zwingli and others. Um, and it, it helps to understand that Luther originally wanted to reform the church from within. Um, he, uh, he didn't want to actually leave the, the church, but Zwingli, uh, truth be told, was really more rational than uh, many of the reformers, and he wanted to start with a clean sheet of paper. After all, if the Bible alone is our rule of faith and practice, then we don't have this ecclesiastical body telling us what to believe. But Zwingli came up with what we call the memorial view, which is what we hold here at, at Calvary, and it upset Luther so much that he, he said, 
that man is of a different spirit and broke fellowship with Zwingli, and they were never reunited. Well, I guess in heaven they are. <laughs> so they, they are having fellowship now. But as an aside, um, as you're talking to people, you may have had the same experience as I. And that is sometimes I've told people, well, what church you go to? I say, oh, I go to Calvary Bible Church, and they'll respond, what's a Bible church? Is that a cult? And so uh, I had a guy say almost exactly that just the other day. He asked me, is it a cult? And I said, no, we're, I, my standard answer is no, we're Zwinglian. And I proceeded to explain that Ulrich Zwingli was, uh, you know, a Swiss reformer, one of the main reformers, and that uh, he believed in the Bible alone as our rule of faith and practice. And so, um, and then I said, oh, and oh, by the way, we believe that you're saved through faith alone in Christ and his finished substitutionary work alone. So I'd like to take control of conversations and uh, turn it into a witnessing op opportunity. And they, they abound out there, the guys I work with, that's for sure. So <clears throat> but the memorial view, in my opinion, is actually the simplest to understand. Uh, we believe that Jesus was using figurative language when he said, this bread is my body, this wine is my blood. Uh, we would paraphrase that. This bread represents my body. This wine represents my blood. Uh, so we believe here at Calvary that uh, he was using a simple metaphor. Jesus also called himself the light of the world. He called him, in, uh, that's in John 8, in John 10, he called himself a door. And then in John 15, he called himself a vine. Um, <clears throat> figures of speech were common then and are common now. In fact, this week you may have used an idiom. It's raining cats and dogs. <laughs> so when we observe the Lord's Supper or communion, understand that it's, it's like a reenactment. And if you've ever been to one of those Civil War reenactments, re they don't use real bullets and, and real cannonballs because it's not the actual event. It's a memorial. And um, similarly, the little wafer and grape juice that we serve here are just, we might say they're pedagogical. They're, they're teaching aids. They're, they're there to assist us as we worship and commune with the Lord and with each other. So um, you might call it a simulation. I don't know. Um, and, and you might wonder, well, why don't we use real wine here at Calvary Bible Church? Um, tell you a little story. A friend of mine years ago told me about a church that decided, you know, we want to be as biblical as we can. And they, they were talking. And, well, you know, Jesus used real wine at the Last Supper. Why don't we use real wine? And so... I'm sure it was well-intended, but without telling anybody, they substituted real wine in those little cups. And two men got up very angry and said, we're recovering alcoholics. So if, if you wonder why we do things around here, sometimes there's a reason, and so uh, just ask. So and <clears throat> in my closing remarks, um, I hope not to steal any thunder from Pastor Nathan. We talked a little bit beforehand. But you don't have to be a member of Calvary Bible Church to partake of our communion here. Uh, but you must be a believer. At, at a point in time, you must have made that decision to trust Christ alone and his finished work alone. And even believers, um, 
we should be ready to do business with the Lord. Um, if you have any unconfessed sin, I suggest that you uh, take care of that right now as uh, once we start the ceremony. Um, of course, I suggest that we keep short accounts with the Lord anyway. Uh, his forgiveness is free and absolute. First uh, John 1, 9, um, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So <clears throat> I'm very thankful for our military men and women who over the years have secured our freedom. Uh, otherwise, we couldn't do this. Um, and so we're standing on their shoulders. Uh, we're also standing on the shoulders of those who have gone before us in a doctrinal or theological sense because many of them have lost their lives too. So I think we need to be ever vigilant to defend those rights and freedoms. Uh, the Lord's Supper is a sacred observance here at Calvary Bible Church, but it's never a ritual. You might notice folks deep in thought, uh, contemplative during the ceremony, and I hope this is true for all of us. And you might also notice that we're actually very organized in how we conduct this ceremony, but it's also never routine. I never cease to be blessed when I observe communion, and I, I hope that's true of you too. And the Lord, in, in turn, is also blessed. So uh, let me pray with you. Father, we just uh, thank you that we can do this in freedom, and we do thank you for those who have gone before us. And also thank you for Pastor Nathan and the, these other fine men as they, they lead us in uh, observing this memorial to the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And so uh, we pray for your grace even as we do this in Christ's name. Amen.